I'm Tish Fielden, and in 2009, along with my son, Jamie, we started the charity Jamie's Farm. Since then, we've had the privilege of working with over 9,000 young people. This has taught us that given a fresh start and a chance to develop trust in themselves and in adults, to build motivation and some resilience and confidence, these children can flourish. The evidence is that they can go back to school and make good use of this newfound confidence and negotiate better relationships with their peers, with their teachers, and aspire to a different future. Sadly, we know that a lot of children are ending up on the fringes of school and indeed then feel kicked out if they are excluded and end up in alternative provision. There is a tragic spiral that can occur for many of these children, a downward spiral where they define themselves as failures, they feel that they're the bottom of the pile, they lack aspiration and so many of them over 90% leave without any academic qualifications as a key to the door for the next chapter of their lives. So we heard in the last podcast from Kieran Gill, who had the initiative to start a project called The Difference. I'm always interested in learning from best practice and from collaboration with other people. Her programme clearly has done a lot of thinking around how the learning can be transferred from mainstream and alternative provision in what meets the needs of some of the hardest to reach children. Here are the difference leaders introducing themselves. Hi, I'm Nina. I worked for seven years in mainstream before applying for the difference leaders programme and being placed in an alternative provision school in East London. Hi, my name's Corinne. I've been working in mainstream schools for five years. I then applied for the Difference Programme and have been placed in an alternative provision in Enfield. Hi, my name is Marie Dennis. I have been a teacher for the past 13 years. I've trained in secondary school and then I moved on to primary and then I also trained primary teachers. I currently work at an AP school in Tooting and was placed here on the Difference Programme. Hi, I'm Hannah. I worked in a inner city mainstream primary school for six years and I applied for the Difference Leaders Programme and I'm now an Associate Senior Leader in an AP in East London. Kieran has provided a programme which is taking teachers who want to not give up on these children and find a way to help them succeed. To begin our conversation, I asked the difference leaders what they found most challenging and rewarding from working in alternative provision. Here's Nina and Marie. Um, I think for me, one of the biggest challenges from the outset of the year, and to an extent has continued, is being able to build meaningful relationships with these kids. Um, I think, you know, I was the only new kind of member of staff at the school this year. So I feel like I kind of stuck out like a bit of a, a sore thumb. And, you know, understandably, it takes um, it, it takes time to build those relationships. And but it's only once you've got that on board and that the connection with the children that then actually they trust you and then effective learning 
uh, can take place. And I think something I learned quite early on, which I try and keep at the forefront of my mind, which is really sad, but is a reality, is that every single one of these kids has had a negative experience of mainstream for for whatever reason um they haven't been able to function within that particular setting um and i think i was particularly seen as all an ex-mainstream teacher and kind of um just represented i guess a setting where they hadn't been able to feel comfortable feel confident enjoy or or excel in so trying to get kind of the kids on board i think for me was was one of the biggest challenges and sometimes still remains if I'm given kind of a new class to to teach all of a sudden um, as well. But the converse of that is once you have got them on board and built those relationships, so I kind of compare where I am now compared to at the beginning of the academic year, Mm -hmm. that has been one of the most rewarding things, you know, imaginable. And it's just, and you just remember they're just kids and they have, you know, the reputation, APs have a reputation of, you know, um of not maybe being the most high caliber the kids being so-called unteachable but actually they are just kids and they just want what all all kids and all children and young people want which is just that love and that respect from an adult who who believes in them and can show them that actually they do have self-worth mm. and they can succeed in life so once you've i guess invested the time the effort and the energy in building those relationships then I think the end result is is incredibly is incredibly rewarding. Do you think that we get um, in the teaching world enough support, time, focus on building relationships? Um, I would say they try. What I found in the AP, they have tried. Um, that is something that they do try to work on a lot because we have a small key working group. And you invest a lot of time in that key working group and you speak to the parents every day and you try to touch base with those children every day. But I think it's not always possible. Seeing that you can't always do that in an AP in such a small setting is probably even more impossible when you're in, in, in mainstream because I had a, a form group and I'd like to think that I touched, I built a good solid relationship with them because you saw them every morning. Um, but I don't think the amount of time required for each child can be given be just because of the structure of the school day. Um, and you find you'd only have the time often went to the children who were most difficult then, mm-hmm. and but not necessarily the most vulnerable mm-hmm. because they can always go. I found they always went and missed. Like I had, when I worked, because I've worked in um, primary as well as secondary, I was trained in secondary, went to primary. And now I'm doing the AP. Um, when with primary, you find you can nurture the children a lot more easier because you're with them all day, every day. Whereas because there's such big movements in secondary and the amount of teachers they um, encounter, they don't necessarily, they're unable to build good relationships, solid relationships with all staff. They may have one person that they could, they might draw to it with. But for some children, there could be nobody in the school that they can, they've done that with because it feels impossible mm-hmm. just because of time and teachers time mm-hmm. and I think it's re- that's something that's really important and that's could be seen where um, education's gone wrong. Nina raised the importance of building relationships and connection with these pupils and for her to be seen as a trusted adult and Marie has raised an issue 
about the challenges of busy school day in allowing time for teachers to develop those personal relationships with their students. This has made me reflect on the importance of teachers being given time or seeking out opportunities to connect with their most vulnerable pupils. And this conversation encouraged us to think about what else could mainstream pick up from alternative provision on how to build those relationships. This is Corinne, Nina, Stella and Hannah talking. I think something that should maybe be restructured, and so my experience of mainstream is that all the focus is academic. Mm. Um, that's, you know, what drives Ofsted, it's all GCSE driven, that's just a key focus and all my CPD was always on academic and grades and mm. all of that. And um, And my first experience of having any kind of behavioural training and trauma-informed practice training has been at the alternative provision. And it's just like blown my mind completely mm. and I just think that that should be so much more of a focus and when you are being offsteaded there needs to be that the, a huge amount of focus shouldn't be on grades what grades they're getting how much value you're adding academically mm. you should be looking at so many other areas and happiness and maybe coming up with some kind of indicator like how happy are your students that mm. uh, in my school we do the pass and um, students ask answer lots and lots of questions so you can kind of gauge how they feel about the setting how they feel about the teachers and I think that's something like really powerful and that should be part of like what makes a school outstanding if like a high proportion of the kids flagged up green which is like really positive and if you're getting loads of kids coming out red like that shows there's a problem instead of we're not adding enough value academically because mm-hmm. at the end of the day you want a kid to be happy mm-hmm. that should be like the sole focus because we don't actually have a lot of evidence to say that um, academic success without, uh, well, you won't get academic success if children aren't confident and happy usually. And therefore, it, it seems to me that a lot of the indications are that the people who flourish in life are people who have self-confidence and happiness and positivity. Mm-hmm rather than those who have very high grades necessarily. And it's not they're not even going to get those grades, in my experience. I don't know what, what you think about this. If children are unhappy, I wonder what you think about that. No, I completely agree, because I think focusing on the happiness and well-being of, of children is important by itself, but it's also required before any kind of learning can even take place so we don't necessarily need to distinguish the two a child's you know mental emotional well-being and their academic success because a child needs to be well before they can learn effectively um and unfortunately it's it is very easy i think sometimes to vilify mainstreams for various reasons and i think for us, having had experience within mainstream and now with an alter- alternative provision, um, we can compare the challenges that both of these kind of settings face. And yes, mainstream schools do tend to be more academically focused because that's how they are judged and they are accountable for those for the external exams. Um, and it's just quite sad that if there was greater knowledge, understanding, expertise within mainstream, that actually okay and their focus remains on academic rigor and academic excellence or they could increase the chances of that if they ensure the well-being of children first so I think there needs to be greater awareness about how these two things 
I feel are inextricably linked and unfortunately there isn't um there isn't enough of that but I also understand the pressures mainstreams have um they are a much larger setting so for example one thing I think I'm really fortunate and my particular AP does exceptionally well is its induction process for the new pupils that we receive that that are referred from from mainstream schools and it's so incredibly thorough and assesses you know not just the the academic background of the child but where they are you know their sort of their their needs as well um their emotional well-being and it just paints a really kind of clear vivid picture for us in terms of how we then as a school as an organization can best support that child to be well to be happy and to to achieve uh, academically and vocationally um as well and it would be so great if some of that knowledge could be transferred to a mainstream setting and i know it's difficult because of it's so large mm-hmm. and, the, and the number of pupils but at least some of that knowledge to be shared with mainstream i just think it would it could be have such a transformative impact you know for that child in 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 so many different ways um so yeah that that's definitely something i think that i've learned um this year that i would i would love at some point be able to share that knowledge back with when i return to mainstream eventually so i think one of the things that has for me it's kind of come across really strongly as a strength in ap that isn't always given the time or the attention in mainstream is about working with with families and kind of the communication with families and getting to know the the wider context of where a child kind of is coming from and Mm. often for us in AP we see actually is a lot of it's kind of sense starts to emerge about why a child is behaving in a particular way as you get to know a bit more about the family and the background and kind of the the generational a trauma often that comes through from from that and how much families appreciate just someone kind of listening with listening with a heart without an agenda just listening mm. to what it is the the, the parent often the mum's experience of being a mother to a child who is not kind of finding success and joy in a big part of what they do which is going to school um so listening to those families listening to the mums and grandmas often um very involved Mm. and that's not something that is given much time or much space in in mainstream Mm. and i think that's a real strength of a lot of the practice that happens Mm. it's taking the time to get to know the context Mm. the child is growing up in seems to be what you're saying and that includes the family and with heart I love what you said it's you know it's more than ticking boxes it's it's feeling that there is care and concern for your child but also for the parent Mm -hmm. yeah and I think to add to that as well which is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently is is when you're building those relationships with the families and with the young person as well um of of really being invested in finding out about the strengths and the passions and the interests of the young people and their families mm. um and there's a lot of stuff that we've been learning through the difference um leadership program around having an asset based approach where you're thinking about not just what's like um wrong but also what's strong um and I feel like that's some of the work that um you guys do with Jamie's farm as well in terms of like you're enabling and bringing out some of the um, strengths and skills of the young people because I think sometimes with um, trauma-informed practice which is a really um, excellent way of being preventative and being 
kind of uh, really responsive and not waiting for things to get to a crisis point of sort of checking in with the young person, having those conversations with the parents and the families um, to find out what's going on with that young person outside of school, uh, outside of the home. Um, but also um, sometimes with that, it can become a bit blamey sometimes. And sometimes it can be where you might have um, the, the, the families thinking, well, well, school can be a kind of, um, a traumatic place for children sometimes and you could almost as a teacher think well the home is a traumatic place for the child and there's a lot of like contextual safeguards to think about about what happens with the peers what's happened and to do as young people because of like wider systemic factors so I think having an asset-based approach like balances out the trauma-informed practice so it can become it it, it kind of helps you to um, avoid being um, kind of overly like critical as well mm -hmm. um, and of really trying to get to know the young people so as an example like um I've, I've been doing like skills and passions audits with the young people and with the staff as well and one of the things that I've, I've I get a lot of joy from is finding out that the, there's a group of young girls that I work with who really love going to the stables each weekend and they like volunteer to like muck out the horses and things like that and it and it gives me a lot of reassurance it makes me feel like they're somehow safer when I know that they're going to the stables for the weekend um, so that's a bit of a long-winded answer, but having that, that knowing the child, um, which like Stella says, is, is sometimes harder to do in a mainstream setting when you've got the high stakes accountability that makes it like the time constraints a little bit more uh, difficult to be able to like really, really get to know that young person and listen to them with your heart, as Stella says. Um, and I think maybe you have that culture more so maybe in an AP setting. Mm. I, I think you're so right that finding out what someone does well and holding on to that so that child feels held in mind as someone who has got capabilities, has got goodness in them if you like, mm -hmm. has got it it's a really important part of the framework for a child to feel that they're not all bad. Mm -hmm. So often we have children come here who say I've been kicked out of school and they're in an AP but their sense is that they've been written off mm -hmm. and what I'm hearing you say is the complete opposite it's like rewriting the script and finding out what they do well. We then got into some blue sky thinking if they could make one change to APs or mainstream schools what would they be? Here are Stella, Hannah, Marie and Corrine. I think one of the things that I've been thinking about recently and probably because the GCSE exams and the teacher assessed grades were just due literally on Friday so that's been a big part of thinking is that there seems to be very little very few people in government who have any experience of anything other than that very traditional trajectory through kind of GCSEs and A levels and so actually in this moment kind of over the last 18 months where obviously all of that's been changing incredibly rapidly there's been almost no thought about the kind of vocational or or other qualifications that are on offer. And I think that's always been the case and that any there's very little innovation or thinking actually around those areas, whether it's apprenticeships or functional skills or BTECs. And it's such, they are without doubt the most complicated qualifications to run, which makes mm -hmm. it very difficult for small schools, mm -hmm. which APs generally are to run them and to facilitate them. They are very, kind of messy in their organisation they're just very shambolic and very chaotic as a as a series of provisions kind of in qualifications which 
makes them actually less accessible and they're meant to be for often the most disadvantaged mm -hmm. learners and actually they're not so that idea of an aspirational qualification doesn't really exist despite some you know reasonable efforts over the years but actually doesn't exist so mm -hmm. if it's maybe a slightly kind of bureaucratic answer but for me that would be a thing that would make a real difference in APs widely is to sort out vocational qualifications much clearer pathways a, a smaller number of well thought out things to do mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense do you have a thought of anything that you would if you ruled the world <laughs> if um <laughs> i ruled the world um with the blue sky thinking i think i think perhaps maybe we've lost the lost our way a little bit of like thinking about what is education for like some i've been thinking as we've been moving through the pandemic and i remember when it first um kind of really blew up and i was at mainstream school when that happened and it was a shock to the system to be in this school setting and for schools to just be shut down and to be in this like flurry of activity of like what are we going to give to these children who are now at home and we were thinking about like food then we were thinking about books then we were thinking about like work packs and then also like i remember putting together like a kind of a4 sheet of like um strategies to manage your own well-being and then like support things on the other side but i remember when all that was happening this flurry of activity of and this kind of almost panic about what we're going to do without schools um was the first thing that came into my mind was those relationships that I had with those young people and with those families and the relationships those young people have with each other and this kind of like wider feeling of like this is somewhere that is like predictable and um, safe and like somewhere that we belong. Um, so out of that I remember thinking schools are not just about the academic this is a this is more than that and then for me to go through the pandemic and then in that process then start working in alternative provision where students are being excluded and and haven't necessarily had like any closure sometimes or or follow up from any connection with those people whether it be the teachers the support staff or the children it might be you were there and then you're not um and it just got me thinking about on a wider level, and I think lots of people have thought this throughout, throughout the pandemic, is like, what is education? What are schools for? Um, is it just somewhere for children to go whilst so the parents are then enabled to work? Is it somewhere to train, quote-unquote, train young people how to become adults to work within the wider world? Or, or is it for something else? Is it about relationships? So I think the first step for me, if it was like, big blue sky thinking would be to go back to the drawing board and be like okay why and then start from there mm. I think that's a fascinating thought because I often have this thought are we preparing them for their futures because the future is not going to look like the past mm. never has done but it's evolving at a rate more rapidly than ever before and it is going to be a world with technology and there might be fewer jobs and happiness communication community belonging and feeling worthwhile mm. is going to be essential to people's well-being and also to the costs of society because mm. when they're not we end up with people um falling off the edge 
and the social cost is massive. And mm-hmm. I love this idea of thinking about schools as communities and places where people feel known and held and cared for mm-hmm. and educated in the broader sense um, and going back to the drawing board. It, it, we have to come at this subject from so many different angles and I think the experiences that you've all brought um, show that you can't treat the child in a uni-focused way. We have to look in a 360 view. Everybody wants to be known, don't they? And everyone's got a right to be known. Okay, my thoughts would be, I was talking about this earlier actually, is multi-agency work as well. And really seeing all the services working collaboratively Mm -hmm. um, and providing the best that they can for each child and also sharing it because that will enable them to share the information more effectively because I think things are happening in young people's lives that um, one agency might know but by the time it gets to the school it's often too late and um, early intervention can't be put into place. I think also just helping children to understand themselves um, because I feel like there's a lack of identity Um, even just being here at the farm for me I woke up the first morning and thought, I'm in Jamaica, just because of the sounds that I'm hearing. And, you know, it very much took me back to, to there. And I think a lot of, because maybe I'm just thinking about inner city children, it, they're just surrounded by one thing. And I think they don't have a, an understanding of the world themselves, nutrition, a lot of things that they need knowledge of, they're lacking. Um, and I think that's the way the structure of schools need to change and look at the curriculum in itself and think what is missing and how it can help the young people to develop holistically and not just academically. Mm. And I wonder what you would add to that, if there's anything... Yeah, so mine's kind of what Nina said made me think, so the induction process. So we also have a really rigorous, really good induction process at our school where um, you're effectively having an interview with the student Mm. and asking all sorts of questions, like Mm. every single category, you know, health well-being, family, education, everything mm-hmm. is discussed and it's like it can be like an hour interview and you find out a lot about the student. And I'm just thinking between year six and year seven, so many kids just get lost. Like the mm-hmm. gap is just huge. And some stu- a lot of students just get on with it and it's fine. But a lot of the students are just completely lost. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, you know, all the year seven form teachers at the right at the beginning of the year to have a pre-parents evening and to do kind of like six parents an evening and go through all these questions and basically induct them into mm. secondary school. And the majority hopefully will be absolutely fine, all good, all good, all good. And then some there'll be red flags, you know, I've got a really difficult home life or, you know, I had some really big problems at primary school, I was bullied, things that just secondary school just don't know about. That's just mm. not passed on. And um, and also for primary schools to send on that information. There's so much information primary schools have. They know these kids inside out and like what happens to that information. Um, so it'd be really cool if that was like written up on a little card and that was like sent on to the form teacher just so it's a bit of a softer landing into secondary mm-hmm. school. Thank you. That is, that is real um, music to my ears because they are ideas that could be put into yeah. practice and we can, as educators, get together in this idea of multi-agencies, but communication and about knowledge of a child mm. seems so essential that we can't just have children sitting in classrooms as if they're sort of... Um, objects Mm. they all come with an awful lot that is shaping their ability to listen learn socialize and be thank you very much
Hearing some of the great work that's going on in APs to improve the outcomes for their pupils is really encouraging. For me, the thing that comes out most strongly is the importance of helping children and the parents to realise their strengths. I think this is a potential to create a real sense of empowerment, enabling them to make better choices for their futures. It reminds me of the fantastic work of Reach Academy Felton with their cradle to career approach and providing excellent support to parents and families throughout. However, this sense of empowerment can only be achieved when the teachers are given time to really get to know the children and parents in their schools. We hope that hearing this conversation has been thought provoking and would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast and what schools can do the most to help vulnerable children in their care. Please get in touch on Twitter and use the handles in the description. Thank you.